Hello everyone and welcome back to the Knowledge Group podcast where we take a look at some of the key industry trends and developments that are really driving what our speakers want to cover at upcoming Knowledge Group events. This week we're going to be looking at the US life sciences industry in 2018, looking at any significant trends and developments as well as the landscape as a whole. The broadcast is going to be live from 3pm Eastern Standard Time on Wednesday the 5th of September and we're going to be hearing from our two panellists Jörg Strobos, a partner at Baker McKenzie LLP, and Chad Davis, a partner at Deckard LLP. Don't forget to use the code PODCAST25 for 25% off your first webcast registration with us. Once again, that's code PODCAST25. When you use that at checkout, you get 25% off your first webcast registration. Let's turn things over to our speakers now. This is Chad Davis. I'm a partner in the intellectual property and counseling practice uh, at Deckard. I work out of the, the Boston office uh, advising uh, pharmaceutical companies and, and chemical uh, companies, a lot of other sort of associated research institutions on uh, intellectual property matters uh, with uh, particular specifics around patent matters uh, in the pharmaceutical sector. Um, you know, with that, there's been uh, a number of developments uh, that impact uh, how companies are, are thinking about patent matters uh, with respect to pharmaceuticals. Uh, one, uh, that uh, there's been a number of developments is with uh, challenges at the USPTO uh, to patents that have granted. Uh, this was a, 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 a procedure uh, that has, uh, was rolled out as part of the America Invents Act a uh, number of years ago that created uh, a process called inter partes review. Uh, this was initially uh, taken up uh, by a lot of uh, sort of business method type patents and patents that related to uh, computer and sort of communication technologies. Uh, but more recently, uh, has uh, the pharmaceutical industry has started using this procedure uh, to challenge patents uh, at the USPTO. Uh, and there's a variety of, of reasons for that. And so, uh, and that's also spawned some important uh, litigation uh, regarding the uh, propriety of these types of proceedings and sort of how the proceedings uh, will, will take place. Uh, and so there's been two U.S. Supreme Court cases uh, just in April uh, of this year that are quite important. Uh, there's also been uh, some federal circuit uh, cases that have come out uh, over the last couple months that are also helping to shape uh, these proceedings and impact the strategies that uh, you know, parties are using uh, and whether or not and sort of how they're going to conduct these proceedings uh, and, and sort of how they're going to manage their patent estates uh, in view of that. Uh, also important uh, on the topic of post uh, post-grant challenges uh, at the PTO is uh, some legislation, uh, federal legislation that has been proposed uh, by certain congressmen that uh, would be beneficial to patent owners uh, if the legislation uh, proceeds. Uh, it gives the, in particular for uh, patents that are owned by inventors, uh, gives uh, a number of uh, sort of advantages uh, to patents that are owned by individuals. Uh, those are some of the more probably important uh, developments that have uh, taken place over the course of uh, the year to date uh, impacting pharma patents. Uh, there's also some uh, trends in litigation uh, that you know, are important to, to, to be aware of 
Uh, this flows in part from change in case law uh, that took place last year that impacts where companies can file uh, you know, patent litigation proceedings. Uh, and then the other area that uh, we'll be you know, covering uh, during uh, the webcast will be developments that relate to the law on patent-eligible subject matter. Uh, this is an area that uh, has been uh, you know, particularly disruptive for uh, parties that are looking to protect uh, diagnostic-type technologies, and there's also been, uh, in the past, some uh, proceedings that have called into question the ability to patent technologies that relate to certain genotyping and certain natural relationships um, that, uh, in the past, uh, prior to these proceedings, had been viewed as eligible for patent protection. Uh, and uh, good news for patent holders is that there has been uh, development uh, in the case law uh, earlier this year uh, that is sort of pointing things into a positive direction for patent owners uh, with respect to uh, method of treatment patent protection that relies on certain genotype information. So those are uh, sort of the, the key categories uh, that we'll be talking through uh, in more detail on the webcast uh, so that uh, you know, practitioners have an understanding of uh, the key features that are going to be impacting uh, their business and things that they'll want to do uh, in order to make sure that they are appropriately positioned, uh, you know, in view of these changes. So my name is Yuri Strobos. I'm a partner with Baker & McKenzie. I'm based uh, in the Washington, D.C. office. Um, my practice for the last several decades, and starting at the FDA, um, has been in um, I'm, I, well, currently I'm involved a lot in licensing, mergers and acquisitions, um, financing. I've also been involved in sort of pre-market negotiations and development plans, clinical trial agreements of various natures, and then um, enforcement actions, post-market enforcement actions, quality and compliance audits and investigations for uh, pharmaceutical industry, and then uh, most recently with the passage of the uh, general data or the implementation of the general data protection uh, regulation in Europe, uh, working on privacy safe harbors for um, health information in the product development space. I work uh, pretty much with all FDA regulated products, cosmetics, um, foods, drugs, medical devices. Uh, biological products, um, but uh, and there's been a lot of developments in the um, in the food arena, but I think uh, today we're going to start and focus uh, really on uh, uh, pharmaceutical and medical products. What um, what I wanted to focus on, uh, and of course there's a lot of developments, but I think the big three that I wanted to focus on were. Uh, a, uh, an entire change in the enforcement approach that FDA has been taken, taking to GMP inspections. Um, a little bit on a sexy topic, which is the First Amendment and um, new uh, case law that's evolving on um, how misbranding relates to uh, False Claims Act, uh, actions against pharmaceutical companies. 
And then I think the other sort of topical item is, is drug pricing and where do we anticipate drug pricing go. Um, in terms of the GMP inspections, uh, what I was planning on doing is going through some of the new legislation on requirements uh, for GMP inspections and uh, yeah, um, the most important being new legislation relating to refusals of inspections and the impact of refusals of inspections on the ability of a company to continue to operate. Um, I think the second aspect to that, I was going to review some of the uh, warning letters and import alerts that have taken place in foreign inspections, which are now dominating the um, GMP inspections because of the growth in the international inspectional cadre that FDA has. Um, and then uh, a little bit about import alerts and the impact that can have on your um, uh, on your company's ability to do business if you're manufacturing your product overseas. Um, the other big development enforcement is FDA's uh, determination in July last year that it would share pre-decisional enforcement uh, information with the European Medicines Agency and the European Health Agency involved in cosmetics. I anticipate that this uh, pre-decisional um, sharing information, which you know raises some issues under the Constitution because it's criminal information, um, it's largely going to stimulate parallel inspections, targeted inspections in the European Union where the inspectional force is not as, as large as it is um, in the U.S., which has a significant impact on uh, drug supply for international companies with fallout from um, U.S. inspections on European drug availability um, and how an import alert may therefore not, have, not only affect access to the U.S. market but also to the European market. On the sort of sexy First Amendment topic, um, FDA has been losing a lot of cases on uh, what the standard for truthful and non-misleading information is. Um, FDA has been told by several courts that um, off-label information uh, that may not necessarily have uh, been, a, in other words, it's off-label because it hasn't been approved by the FDA, that that information can be disseminated, that it doesn't necessarily represent misbranding, and it doesn't permit the FDA to engage in enforcement actions. Um, if you align that with the um, Escobar case, which basically says that misbranding activities in and of themselves do not represent false claims uh, to the federal government under the Medicare Medicaid Act, and that there has to be a materiality between the misbranding and uh, the purchase by the U.S. government. In other words, if the U.S. government would not have been affected by um, the purchase would not or the prescription would not have been affected, even if there was no misbranding, then um, there's no false claim. Um, these are particularly important because we don't really know where the FDA is going to go. Um, they put out a memorandum on January 17th, the day before the 
Trump administration uh, came in defending its original position that has been losing in the court. Going to go over a little bit of that and how the impact of these two developments um, may play out uh, for the pharmaceutical industry. Um, lastly, the sort of another fun topic is uh, drug pricing. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion about the fact that drug prices are um, are going up and that they are out of the range of uh, of many patients in the United States. Um, and um, we're going to go a little bit into um, what the actions are um, that the federal government is taking and whether those actions actually will have an impact on drug pricing or whether they may actually support the existing drug pricing. So again, we're going to go a little bit into the rationale and reasons for drug shortages, how drug shortages affect drug pricing. Um, the increasing movement uh, towards very niche uh, markets based on, on um, highly focused uh, science. Uh, it's a little bit of uh, genotyping information there as well, and diagnostics, and how uh, there may actually be a spread of uh, high drug prices worldwide rather than the other way around, and then the impact of some of the recent genericization of the market and FDA's incentives that they have um, put together um, recently, some with legislation um, on encouraging generic entry. Um, we're then going to discuss uh, some of the other factors that might affect um, drug pricing, like the jawboning that we're seeing from the White House, uh, changes in antitrust and anti-competition law uh, worldwide. Um, what uh, uh, authority the Center for Medicaid, uh, Medicare and Medicaid services might have, and then I think we'll we'll swing back to uh, the discussion we just heard about patents and um, whether or not some of the trends that um, we're going to hear about on the patent side. That was our panel from our upcoming webcast, the U.S. Life Sciences Industry in 2018 looking at significant trends and developments. All the details you need for that webcast will be in the description box down below. Wednesday, the 5th of September, is the day you need to remember from 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Don't forget, you'll also find the code PODCAST25, which will get you 25% off your first webcast registration. Once again, PODCAST25 is the code you need at checkout. All the details you need are in the description. We look forward to seeing you next time. Take care, everyone. Bye now.